talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Hello, and welcome to the seventh episode of More Like the Worst Wing I am your first host, Stu And I'm your second host, Dave Today, we'll be discussing the seventh episode of The West Wing, entitled The State Dinner. And um, there are a lot of things that go on in this episode, but, conveniently... Uh, CJ will helpfully lay it out all for us. Take it away, CJ. So, let me see if I have this. A hurricane's picked up speed and power and is heading for Georgia. Management and labor are coming here to work out a settlement to avoid a crippling strike that'll begin at midnight tonight. And the government's planning a siege on 18 to 40 of its citizens, all the while we host a state dinner for the president of Indonesia. Yeah, you, you got, got it. it. Thank you. What, a, what an economic and word-saving way of laying out the three major plot lines of this episode. You guys don't even have to listen to us bullshit for like 12 minutes this time around. <laughs> So that's our three main plot lines. We've got a hurricane hitting a fleet of battle carriers. We've got uh, a state dinner with the president of Indonesia. We've got a trucking labor dispute. And uh, finally, we have uh, a holdup survivalists Ruby Ridge scenario. Yeah. So and also um, this episode, just kind of before we even dig in on the things that are going on, we are introduced to the First Lady of the United mm-hmm. States for the first Correct. time. Yes, this is uh, Abby's, Abby Bartlett, Dr. Abigail Bartlett's mm-hmm. first appearance, played by <laughs> the wonderful Stocker Channing, uh, who just kills it in this role. And I have nothing but praise for any of the actors on this show uh, whilst we drag their fictional characters for being dum-dums. <laughs> but Abby, Abby is no dum-dum this episode. Abby is awesome. Abby and, comes uh, out the gate playing a Yenta for CJ. It's just <laughs> spectacular. So <laughs> She's trying to help out CJ. She uh, inspires Bartlett, essentially, to kind of like get in there. We'll talk about exactly what he does when he gets in there, but to get in there with the truckers and, and throw his presidential weight around. And uh, she clearly acts as sort of a morale boost for our, our cast, essentially. Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually, I mean, it's... It's an interesting contrast to the sort of over-the-topness of uh, Martin Sheen mm-hmm. that as he is written. He is just constantly just 100%ing his role. Mm-hmm. Whereas Dr. Channing comes in and just sort of like, you know, like weaves her way into a couple scenes, offers mm-hmm. a few choice words, and then, you know, moves on. And it's all, it's understated. And I think, you know, again, you know, I don't want to sit here fanboying about her, but <laughs> it's just a really, it's it's a really well-played character. And she was a great, if frankly, at the time, probably unconventional choice to essentially be a bench character for a season. Right. Yeah. To basically be like such a secondary character that it's episode seven and we are literally now just <laughs> first seeing her. And she really only shows up for about maybe five minutes of screen time, all told. Uh, so clearly meant to be a secondary character, but she gives, you know, she gives it her all, and like you say, she kind of does it effortlessly, and uh, a much-needed female cast, mer- cast member addition as well, yeah. uh, to kind of help balance out the testosterone quotient. Well, especially uh, we'll because... we'll talk more yeah. about the way men are terrible when we get to Sam and Lori. <laughs> well, and so we're also, we've also got, like, it's, you know, the, the, in this particular episode, they're really leaning, at least initially, pretty hard on the, the Donna Moss, like... 
comedic relief yeah. type of bimboist. Yeah, let's talk about that for a moment. So, like, so the the initial thing before we start dealing with any of these other things is the titular state dinner that the episode is titled on, which is for the president of Indonesia. And so, given that we don't, as we the audience know, roughly nothing about Indonesia as an average American, Donna is meant to be our stand-in and uh, <laughs> does exactly what Josh accuses her of doing, of taking a weird fact from an ill-reputed source, spinning it out of context, and basing an entire cultural's, culture's perception off that and assumes that Indonesians execute people for sorcery. Yeah, and I wrote down here, it's like, I, I literally wrote down, Donatella Moss is the original boomer meme poster. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, Sharia law, they're coming for us. Yeah, it's very, very scaremongery. And it's played for laughs, and it's clearly not meant to be serious, so I'm willing to write it off a little. But it also just kind of makes Don- Donna look very dumb uh, in ways that the other Teladonna-type moments don't really... Don't really. Yeah, she's she's not... In, in she's other not asking an she's earnest, just, honest yeah. question. She's asking a loaded, terrible question. <laughs> well, and she's she's also absorbing information in the other stuff, which is a technique of exposition for the audience to appreciate. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this one, it's just like, I'm dumb and bad. Right, she's like, just expressing her irrational fears, and Josh yeah. has nothing to say, but you're being irrational, which he's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, so, and then uh, we, in that context, we can actually probably just dig in on kind of the first issue. So at the outset of the episode, we learned that kind of the, the major conceit is going to be um, a state dinner being held in the White House for yes. the president of Indonesia by virtue of CJ listing off sort of like you're at the, you're, you're at the Emmys or something on the red carpet, <laughs> like listing off who you're wearing and, and right. What they're serving and what they're drinking with all this, you know, fancy connoisseurship going on. Right, with, and it's with clear, the press corps. Right, and it's clear that CJ is not into this part of her job mm-hmm. and views this as like the press corps being extremely vain, which of course they are, <laughs> yep. because they care about the details of what everyone's wearing instead of any sort of policy thing yeah. at all, as demonstrated by the fact that later on she is then asked about instead of any of the three interesting plot points uh what shoes someone is wearing (laughs) but she also makes a a quip about like i don't care about wine it goes in a glass you drink it like that's great (laughs) that's good and then josh is like what but what kind of wine are we having she's like you'll drink the wine (laughs) (laughs) whatever we give you bitch so drink it (laughs) (laughs) so yeah um this uh, there there's throughout the episode there are segments where the staff is talking to or doing appearances with the Indonesian delegation. The first thing that you see is they have like a photo op with the president and the other president, um, and man, it's like immediately just sort of a big old heaping scoop of Orientalism. Yeah, it's. Um yeah, it's a lot of, like, the inscrutable Asian, essentially, where he's quiet and he only replies in one word, yes or no responses, and this means that he's weird. Yeah, and it's, um, so, I was I was actually kind of, I did a little bit of research because this, I was um, curious whether this was actually a direct dig at Suharto, and I'm, I'm fucking guessing it is because this was filmed, I think, on the order of less than a year after he resigned and they first had democratic elections for the first time ever in Indonesia. So 
the the character is also you know that the inscrutable Asian kind of stereotype thing. It also plays directly into a lot of American values that I feel are, <laughs> um, how do you, how do you say resurgent these days? Because the perception is that because the president has the gift of gab and is voluble and is backslappy and jovial all the time while being a serious person, it's that he is you know, he is to be respected and commands authority in a certain way. Correct. Whereas the Indonesian president doesn't say anything and Americans stereotypically just think that, like, he's dumb. Right. Because he doesn't speak a lot. (laughs) Yeah, and you bring up a good point. And it comes down to, like, this concept of charisma. And there's, like, a very American idea of charisma where you are charismatic because you give good speeches, you know, or, you, or you're personable in a public, big way. And there's no way to be charismatic while being stoic or quiet. You have to be loud, and you have to be heard all the time. And it's a very American-centric way of thinking, and it just sort of, like... It's, again, it just sort of... There's this, like, oh, the inscrutable East element to to all the stuff with the indonesians uh throughout this episode you know who who Uh, knows what he's thinking and right you know can we even communicate because that's another issue that comes up down the road is that um we find that toby one of toby's friends is being held in an indonesian jail right and so there's a big old conflict that comes up because they he wants him to do him basically a personal favor and get you know, his friend released, but they have to go through like a chain of translators to get to speaking the right language somehow right. to interact. Yeah. And then the guy comes yeah, back, he's just like, telephone going. <laughs> well, and the guy comes back, he's just like, I fucking speak English, you asshole. Like, why don't we? And like, he just super slams it's, him. It's played perfectly. Yeah. It's so, it's so well done. Well, and, and it's, and it's, it's, great. it's a reasonable criticism because frankly, this clip is, pretty evergreen you know this is 20 years old at this point what the guy says here please understand that with so many people watching with so much media coverage it was important for us to make clear that the united states with its commitment to human rights has an obligation does it strike you at all hypocritical that a people who systematically wiped out a century's worth of native americans should lecture the world so earnestly on human rights yes it does you humiliated my president tonight, and for no other reason than to show off. And now you want me to do you a favor? Go to hell. And like, yeah, how dare you criticize us for human rights yes. violations? Thank you. Thank <laughs> you, show. Like, you are, wow. I'm actually amazed that the show is willing to, to like, this is the sort of thing that later on will be glossed over in like the bad years. I, this is actually a much more daring take than I'm, I, the show has been willing to give us thus far. This is probably the most leftist critique of these characters <laughs> that the actual show canon has given us. Well, absolutely. And I really like that. And I really like that it's played like it is as a joke, but it is clearly like it is, like outside of the comedic timing and Toby just being like, Oh God, you know, mulling this over furiously. He's just like, actually like, fuck you. Like yeah. the, this straight yeah, up and then hell. cut. 
Then and then go cut. to hell. Yeah, yeah. Who do the hell do you think you are <laughs> asking for favors after you like slammed on us with a speech that we're not a democracy? You yeah, because throughout the whole thing, Toby has been going to Sam and saying like toughen up the speech toughen up the speech really slam it to them make them feel real bad for being a bad country like because uh, we get upset over words mm. <laughs> like um, so it's yeah. real good here well and they real and good. I think just to kind of to make a quick sort of again dig at the show it's it is unsurprising that the concept of charisma plays a central figure in a show that's basically about speechwriters being smug. Right. <laughs> and written by a speechwriter who is also extremely smug. Yeah, half the, half the heroes on our show are fucking writers. <laughs> like, they're all self-inserts here, so, you know, let's just validate our feelings about this issue yeah. to- in Toby the script. Toby is one, ha- one half of Aaron Sorkin, Sam is another half of Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> yeah, so, speaking of Sam... <laughs> which, says a lot, which says a lot about Aaron Sorkin, yeah. depending on <laughs> no shit. what you want to read into <laughs> Sam's actions in this episode. So, speaking of Sam, that's something we can talk about next. <laughs> yeah. Let's. This isn't technically one of the three major plot lines, but it is a plot line, uh, which is that during said state dinner, uh, who should show up on the arm of some senator? I don't really. It's a know major who party donor. Can... Okay, sure, whatever. But who should show up on the arm of said major party donor? But uh, Lori, going by Brittany for tonight, Hi, Lori. Uh, as she is clearly working her night job. Uh, and hi, Lori. Good to see you again. Lisa Edelstein, as always, killing the role. Uh, does great stuff. We see her earlier with Sam uh, when they're getting lunch together, uh, and she's studying for her law school finals. But then she shows up, uh, and Sam has a complete lack the, of chill. The entire time he does, like the, the, the brief scene earlier in the episode where in the diner, he's, he's just so fucking condescending all the time, and he almost like he immediately contradicts himself when he's talking to her where he's like here just like stop studying it's this case citation and that's the correct answer and then less than a full sentence later he goes back he's like but you have to keep in mind that the practice of law has no bearing on the study of law it's like you literally just told her to not practice but to just memorize fact you mother like i do not understand like it's just so dumb He's trying to get some time with her, clearly, because oh, yeah. he likes her still, uh, which is obvious, which is why he has the complete lack of chill when she, like, she has to try to introduce herself. And this is, like, if you've seen any spy movie in your fucking life, you know how to do this bit where someone has to fake introduce themselves to you, and you've known them before, but you have to fake, like, you know, you're meeting <laughs> for the time, first time. Yeah. And, like, really any adult with the, you know, social awareness above autism could pull this off, and Sam completely melts the fuck down. <laughs> And it's like, they, 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 they frame it up such that it's like, here, it's coming, it's coming, and it's like, immediately. Right, like, he's just getting awkward and sweaty, and he's like, hi, Br- Brittany, which is your name. He, like, flops, sweats like, out of his tuxedo. <laughs> like, Jesus That's Christ. so funny. Oh, uh, and then, so he just, he has a complete, and whatever, that would be bad enough and raise enough eyebrows, but then later on, he specifically tries to call out her hourly rate while she's in front of the donor guy, and uh, like, oh, and then offers her ten grand to not sleep with him. Jesus. And to go, not to go home with him. I'm just gonna eat if that's okay. 
Sam. I'll give you $10,000 not to go home with that guy tonight. But just to not sleep with the donor guy. And like, oof. Yikes, Sam. Like, Big yikes. And like the, the, the expectation, I don't really, I, I really like, because it is framed and written such that it is clearly, he is the one in the wrong here. Yes. But, I will give them credit. Lori clearly calls him out and says, like, this is so <laughs> fucked up. But the <laughs> like, what are you like doing? Like the, the the intent that Sam as a member of the administration is supposed to like default to a sympathetic uh, like treatment by the viewer. He's still our protagonist. He's, exactly. Of course. You know, it comes back to like the breaking bad thing of like Walter White is not a good man, <laughs> but he's our protagonist, so you sympathize with him because it's from his point of view. It's it's a similar sort of thing. Sam is not the correct character here morally, but you still end up sympathizing with him because he's one of our main characters. Yeah. And um, also I'd like to just point out that uh, Wardrobe did a real bad job with Josh and Sam's tuxes. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, they're very <laughs> bad. I don't know if this is like late yeah, late nineties fashion, thousands yeah. fashion. Because like, how do you how do you fuck Ooh, up a tuxedo? Yeah, just real bad. <laughs> but, but they found a way. <laughs> they they sure found a way. Yeah, this is supposed to be like the highest functions of government, and here you are with like some weird ass waistcoat that's like drooping down to your <laughs> dick. It's like, <laughs> god. Yeah, Josh in particular. Look, I mean, like Sam, you know, he's Rob yeah, Lowe. That goes a, a long way dude. to hiding any fashion faux pas. <laughs> yeah. But Josh, Josh, it just becomes more obvious because he's Bradley Whitford and he's not yeah, Rob Lowe. He's um, he's got frizzy hair, real frizzy hair. <laughs> oh, that yeah. hair. Uh, meanwhile, quick shout out to CJ and Abby though, who are the polar opposite and look damn fine well, and, like stunning. and and again uh, the the stalker channing's character just kind of sashays into the middle of this interaction of sam and laurie and just sort of like there there's a nice diffusing of tension but it's also very much just like the the exact idea of what sam could have done she comes up right. and in 45 seconds does it does it well and right. pieces out like, <laughs> yeah just like hey just act natural and talk like you're at a party, and then everything would be fine. Like, you know? That's literally all you have you to have do. You have a beautiful dress. Aren't you charming? Lovely to see you. Right. Move along. Ba ba I have <laughs> yeah. to go on. I'm the president's wife. I have a million yeah. people to see. <laughs> it was great. Uh, it was fantastic. And then, uh, so one final bit here is that, um, oh, uh, so CJ's... We, this is where we get our first hints of CJ mm. and Danny Kakanen's mm. budding romance. Uh, where he asks specifically about what she'll be wearing that night and mentions that she has a lovely dress, and we're just starting to get the first hintings and stirrings of, of a budding potential romance between the White House press secretary and a reporter, which, of course, could not happen. Yes, and it is a major point of contention onward in we'll the series. We'll see going forward. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But uh, let's go on to our next topic here. Um do you want to do the hurricane or do you want to do the trucker stuff? Um, have we, let's do, let's do, actually, let's talk about the Ruby Ridge allegory here because the state dinner concludes with uh, Mandy sort of wrapping up the plot line from earlier in the episode, which is a, basically a direct allegory to the Ruby Ridge standoff that occurred yeah. in the early nineties. There are some survivalists holed up in a bunker mm-hmm. where the FBI went to serve a warrant for uh, some weapons charges or whatever it was Correct. and end up essentially surrounding and having a standoff with this clan of, you know, 
isolated survivalist preppers. people in, in Idaho, basically preppers. Yeah. yeah. And so it's super interesting that, I mean, again, this is uh, six, seven years down the road from Ruby Ridge, which if you've ever watched the spectacular documentary on Netflix about it, led directly into the Oklahoma City bombing and Waco. Um, it's like they're all these things are tied together with kind of white militia and white supremacy stuff um, in the mid 90s. But they also take this opportunity to have a little bit of a redemption arc for Mandy herself. Yes. Um, interesting here that for, for the first time we have Mandy saying things I agree with. <laughs> uh, yes. Which is, which is like, I've made a note here, be still my heart, good writing for Mandy. Um, <laughs> because Mandy comes in to help. First off, Josh is like super upset that she's even in the room talking, which is weird. And I guess it's meant to be like Josh is hung up because they used to date or something. It seems very personal. Or he's just mad because he's not the one talking or something. But anyway, Mandy's in the room with the president discussing this Ruby Ridge scenario and basically says, like, hey, I know you guys want to go in there, you know, tear gas, guns blazing, take these, you know, take these guys. But then tomorrow you're going to have a a newspaper with a big photograph of a woman with a screaming woman with a baby in her arms (laughs) being tear gassed and with (laughs) FBI wind jumpers in the foreground. Uh, And and she pleads the path of caution, the path of let's try every conceivable angle we can before we start storming in there with federal agents yeah and and she the, her plan is basically to get a get a negotiator a professional negotiator slash like um it would be like a, a de-escalator right her first plan in. is actually to starve them out but she's informed that they since they are preppers oh, yeah. they basically have five year <laughs> five year food and water supply that's right and also the uh like the the agents in the room they don't really spend a lot of time on even bothering to describe what these people did wrong right <laughs> they're just like out the gate it's just oh yeah, I want to shoot well, some they're criminals. So, you know, yeah. They're criminals. They're doing crime all the time. That's what yeah. criminals do. Well, so they must be subhuman and therefore, like, you know, let's put them the fuck down, you know. Yeah. That's not the America. Only, the <laughs> only reason we can get a negotiator here is because they're white, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's, let's face facts. Yeah. And so, well, in the way that she proposes her plan and the way that it's received clearly foreshadows it to failure yeah, the, like, at yeah. the outset. That, you know, Mandy is being foolish here. We should have just gone in hard from the get-go because all Mandy did was get an FBI negotiator shot. Like, but that seems like a bad message to send. And it's, I mean, again, like, we'll we'll touch on this with the hurricane thing where it's like, this is, but that the thing is, when when you're a federal agent in this capacity, like, um, I feel like you understand that's part of your role. It's part of... uh, the job to face that particular risk like you are trained right to uh, yeah you are specifically trained to be a you know high you know high risk these kind of scenario type agent you yeah. know this is the sort of thing you train for you don't train you know you're not you're not out there trying to figure out how to like to to give hugs to bad guys right necessarily you're just like this is part and parcel of what you're training it should be expected that you are you're a resource being deployed to take a right. like a fully detached view of it. it just, so it feels like it's ultimately the show is just kind of siding on like the blue lives matter yeah. here Ugh. line here a little bit or just trending a little too close to it to be comfortable. Where the the greater concern is cop lives as opposed to <laughs> anything else. Well, and then down the line, I mean, you know, it ends up with the guy shot and Mandy's super upset and it's but it's, it's like you you actually you did good. 
And unfortunately, the result was suboptimal. But like you, right. you really like you made the correct choice. Right, and, and the, the show, show kind of just leaves it out. Yeah, the show doesn't give her that moment to say yeah. like, "Hey, you did the right thing here, even if it went bad." Mm-hmm. Like, and I feel like it would if someone like Josh had done this. <laughs> I feel like there would be a guy who comes in who's like an agent or something who says like, "Hey, you made the right call, but sometimes these things just go bad," you know? Like, <laughs> well, you've got this note here. It's like Josh fucking like when she's like Yo, she bails God. out of the state dinner. Like, go help her, man. Like, yeah, she says I'm she's gonna in throw distress. up, and then Josh looks back and like lingers on the look of like maybe I should go help her. And then turns back around and starts clapping again for the <laughs> and, president. And that's, and that's the last shot we have of it. That is the last we see of this issue. It's just like, well, no wonder ah. she broke up with you, dude. Yeah, <laughs> like... holy shit. <laughs> yeah. All right, so that's a good one. Savage. Uh, there's a kind of a, not, not the most political point in the show, is about this hurricane that's about to hit the Carolinas. Topical. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And so, you know, they, they make the executive decision to send a carrier group out to sea to get them out of port so that the storm does not hit them when they're moored. Correct. Yeah. Um, and at the very, very last minute, like the storm shifts direction and essentially catches the carrier group on the high seas, extremely yeah. high seas. Yeah. Like, whoopsie, uh, you drove right into it. Yeah. So that is sort of like they, they, they play this up at the end of the episode as a very emotional and like. It has a lot of gravity where there's a bit at the end where they're huddled around a radio, basically, in contact with the with the radio room on the carrier as they listen to this guy getting, like, thrown around the the cabin and, like, trying to talk him through them, them suffering this horrific storm. But right. there's a little... Isn't, isn't it the... Sh- does, doesn't that ship go down? Isn't that the ship that then goes down where he talks um, into cathedrals about how... This the the ship that repairs and sends mail to other ships was the one that sunk. Isn't I don't I, know. I think, isn't that the implication? We can here? we can follow that up when we get to. I that feel like that's episode, the implication. But I, I think that, like, you're right. He's talking to this guy as they're drowning. Like yeah, they're yeah, not yeah. gonna make. They're not pulling out of this. Yeah, and so prior to this, there is a very brief um, another one of these boiled down like individual morality plays where we we prioritize the characters in crisis rather than oh i don't know a systemic response <laughs> to right. a national emergency or ever where it turns out that charlie's um grandfa- grandparents yeah live grandparents. Yeah. live along the georgia coast and are going to take like the full brunt of the storm and he can't yeah. find them they're supposed to have evacuated yeah they're in an evacuation zone and this this is very this is very, very typical very, of the show very typical and topical i would say yeah. um <laughs> Again. Yeah, but very typical in that it, it's just a way of like individualizing a systemic issue, uh, which we're gonna just we just see it happen over and over and over. Like even in this episode with Toby's one singular friend to represent the idea of political prisoners. Yeah, and and also to like uh, to to forget about the rest of them. It's like, well, my guy's important, you know, and that that is super not a good frame to perceive these government huge structural issues through. Right. <laughs> and I have speaking a <laughs> of a huge structural <laughs> issue. <laughs> I have a confession to make when I was making my notes for this show. I wrote down I, I physically wrote down 
Another morality play at Toby's expense here. Bend all resources necessary to care about this one guy's relatives and not any sort of systemic or structural aid. And it took me until I had finished watching the episode, went back to read my notes over to realize that it's Charlie's grandparents. It is not Uh. Toby's grandparents because all of us have internalized biases. And I am a horrible, horrible person. No, it's... I feel it's a more honest mistake than you're giving it credit, but um, <laughs> but then so then our final issue of the episode is this trucking labor issue, um, where there's at midnight uh, tonight a, a you know bargaining agreement's going to expire and the truckers are going to go on strike, uh, so we have t- this day to resolve it or else uh, a nationwide infrastructure nightmare. Yep, and so. The they they bring them in both they bring both labor and management sit them down in a boardroom in the White House you know to essentially have them hash it out and essentially saying you can't leave until you fix right. this shit so apparently this, they're they've been given a federal mediator for the past thirty days which has not helped at all uh, and yeah the so the the dispute is that. Uh, there's two classifications of employees. There are the normal full-time truckers who get good wages and good benefits, and then there are part-time or also some or new full-time truckers mm-hmm. uh, that get shit wage and no benefits. Uh, and obviously, the labor is pissed. Yes, because, because <laughs> what's I mean, come on. And it's like the the quote-unquote younger workforce thing because the first person to go in and deal with this sort of shit is Toby. And he's like talking about. He's like, you know that you know that the younger workforce prefers flexible work arrangements or whatever. What it's a like, where, of shit! Where have I fucking heard this before? Millennials. Ah. Yeah. What, what a crock of shit. They don't prefer <laughs> flexibility. They want to want to be employed full time. Or <laughs> and paid well and have you know and have be benefits. taken care of. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And so, and Mandy brings up the great point that these part-time workers are not part-time, they are effectively full-time, they are just designated part-time through an accounting trick, yep. which is which is basically labor's whole dispute in this thing. And then management's response is basically like, well, it would cost us too much. <laughs> Imagine that. Well, and so there's Shocking. another, there's another brief scene where like they're swearing at each other and Leo is like... <laughs> Come on, guys, this isn't the Jersey Turnpike. You don't swear in the White House. It's like, oh, well, you know, that would be undecorous of us, you know, to use harsh language. Yeah, the guy says bullcrap to management, and Leo goes, hey, whoa, this ain't the Jersey Turnpike, kid. Well, there, whippersnapper. You and you and that, that jive talk, I'm not down. If I was like, a radio DJ, I would just want the <laughs> clip of the radio saying, this ain't the Jersey Turnpike, like, and just, I could just hit that button over and over. And, and throughout um, it, the, the central, really, the, the conflict is just that the framing of the dispute itself is really bad because they yeah. start out with the idea that it's, it's, it is two equally powerful sides in conflict and attempting to get them to compromise with each other. There is never... Right. And I think you said there's there's no options presented no. for either. No, uh, there's no there's no way that's presented where it seems like either one is going to get a win. Again, this comes down to this fundamental thing of no big wins on this show. You know, this is our ultimate bipartisan compromise spirit at its finest, where lock these two guys in a room and make them compromise. God damn it! Well, and then and that plays itself out because eventually at the state dinner. 
they're running out of time and guys it's literally the 11th hour and so of course it's time for big daddy president to come and solve all problems here yeah. like the benevolent dictator he's supposed to be yeah and he does it just basically by threatening <laughs> them even more yeah. uh basically by saying to management i will nationalize the trucking industry which fucking a god I'm, would anyone nationalize any industry please <laughs> come on please? please please take this threat seriously can you anything use it? anything Any, i will take it uh telecoms i will take energy retail, I, mean, I will take whatever water any of the utilities yeah. <laughs> Please, and then he threatens to labor that he will then conscript them uh, into the army, basically to be <laughs> nationalized army truckers, which is not that terrible a deal. Uh, I mean, I gotta. The, I, I wrote <laughs> like, down here. You're gonna like, be in a non-combat role. You're <laughs> yeah. gonna have free like health benefits for life. You get a pension. You know, like things could be worse. You, you do your 20 years and then you retire. Like, and it's just always presented as like. Nope, we're, we don't. We aren't going to go into enough detail to understand why these people care about this stuff. To understand that being a trucker physically destroys your body. Right. And then, like you know, actually, you work maybe... long hours away from your family. You, yeah. You know, it's a it's a difficult difficult life, and it deserves to be well compensated and with good benefits. But you know, just miss... like all jobs deserve. <laughs> yeah, and Miss Mister. Credential check here. Nobel Prize in economics. The president of the United States There's comes no in. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. <laughs> comes in and essentially, like, you know, he just says, I am going to appeal to authority, that authority being myself. Right. <laughs> I am yeah. correct. Do this. Yeah, yeah. Compromise or else I will, I will destroy you, essentially. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's a again, it's it's a dramatic device to further es- further establish like the fact that the president approaches things from this even even keeled, very. But yeah, comp- spirit of compromise. It's, spirit of compromise, it's, like garbage it's neoliberal very Obama, type. Of, and it's yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. It's basically like the the giant sin of the Obama administration was this continuing need to want to compromise on everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, and it's this thing that, you know, ultimately this whole podcast is about this, you know, poisoning of, of the cultural landscape mm. that this is the great ideal to strive for is bipartisan compromise <laughs> where both sides feel wronged. Yeah. And the, and the fact, and the idea that the exact middle is as defined by whoever has the most power in the arrangement. Yes. They tell us where the middle is, you know, right. in this compromise. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah. I think that's that basically, it. And that basically wraps up uh, this episode of More Like the Worst Wing podcast. Uh, thank you for joining us. We'll uh, always welcome your feedback and comments in the thread as well. Um, you can email theworstwing69 at gmail.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us that way, I'd like to give a shout out to Citations Needed Pod with Nima Shirazi and Adam H. Johnson in New York City. They are doing their episode this week on how the West Wing has poisoned a generation of liberal discourse in this country. Holy shit, it is raining like a bitch outside. So we're going to hear it. We're going to let you go. (laughs) Yeah. And we'll be back next week with uh, Enemies. Enemies. All right, thanks. Bye. All the money you ask for, but don't ask me to come on along.